Hi, Creative Minds, and welcome to the Savvy Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Castaneda, and today my guest is a small-town girl at heart who moved from the city to enjoy the charm of Northern Ontario. When she's not out hiking with her husband or home-devouring books, you can find her, notepad in hand, scribbling down one of the many flat bunnies bouncing around in her head. She has published eight novels to date, three of which have been translated and published in Italy. Her latest novel is slated for publication in Germany and Poland as well. Now, I have her latest book, New Orleans Rush, and I love it. It's been a favorite summer read and captures one of my favorite cities in the U.S. Everything from the first taste of a beignet to magic and the love story with characters you just can't help but root for. Welcome, Kelly Siskin. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have you here because when I first read B's character in this book, she's hilarious. She's just like... (laughs) She's so witty and funny and even like the kind of mess her life is in, I could just totally relate to her. And it's been such a fun read to open up the summer with. She, yeah, she's just, she was a lot of fun to write. Um, <laughs> you definitely explore different characters. You're always trying to make your characters different when you're writing. And sometimes I'm writing, you know, more hardcore girls who are pretty sassy. And although B does have some sass, it's really her you know, vivacious love of life that I wanted to capture in this particular character, you know, a little quirky and fun and, you know, someone you wanted to hang out with. Yeah, is this um, different? So this is different from a lot of the romance heroines that you create? Um, I just, I always try to make my books very character driven. So I'm always focused on getting into my character's heads and what makes this person tick and what makes this person stand out is different from other things I've written to also keep it interesting for me as an author who doesn't always want to write the different version of the same person. Right. And I noticed that's one of the things you do differently as a romance author as well, is that you don't do it by series, right? You do, you said uh, each book is a standalone, which I find is really interesting. Uh, What was the creative choice behind that? Well, and that's a new, well, it's interesting because it's a new direction I'm taking, but it was also the first direction I took. So my very first published novel was called Chasing Crazy, and it was a standalone novel about a bit of a disaster magnet of a girl from Canada who went backpacking in New Zealand and, you know, found the love of her life, of course. More of a new adult read um, and a lot of fun. And then I got into the series thing, and one of the main reasons I did get into writing series and for romances that's more about writing companion books. So each one can be read as standalone, but you have a group of girls and each girl gets their love story. So I wrote two series, each three books each. And the main reason I did it is because that was the trend in the industry. So it was more about me following the trends and you know what the expectation is. Personally, I find I lose a bit of interest by the end of that, you know, going through that series. I love creating worlds. Um, I love starting fresh with a new book. So a big reason why I did this was personally and creatively, I am happier writing standalone books. So my hope is my readers jump on that train and are okay with, you know, starting new with new fresh ideas and new fresh characters every book. Yeah, I always am too, because at some point I feel like there is an end of the line um, with some stories. Like there are just some points where they need like the story just ends and it's it's final yeah so yeah and I love what you said about creating worlds um it does feel like we go back to zero um but like how do you start off with the with the world building and especially in romance it feels like it can be anything but it's always about love like how do you go about 
the world. Well, yes, it is always about love. There's all you're always guaranteed a happily ever after, and that's the beauty of picking up a romance novel. You know this book is going to make you happy, right? And that's part of the joy of reading romance. Um, where my ideas come from or where they start, they could be anything. Um, this particular book started with Carrie Underwood's song um, "When He Cheats." I'm even blanking on the name of the song. <laughs> before, no, he, before he cheats, but oh, yeah, I cheats. love. I love that. When I read that, I was laughing. I was like, yeah, girl. Oh my God. I just, I loved it. It's such a girl power song. And my original concept was, um, she keys her boyfriend cheats on her. She's so angry and she goes outside and keys his car and realizes the wrong car. And my original concept was, you know, we're maybe in small town somewhere. The guy whose car she keyed owns a diner and he can't afford to pay anybody and hires her for a dishwasher. And then I'm like, where's the fun in that? Right. So I decided going to make him a magician and her a magician's assistant, which because I've never read a book like that. So I'm going to write that book. And I decided to give her stage fright because then that would make it even more fun. You know, so you get all, you start your ideas somewhere and then you just try, you try to find as much conflict as you can within the story. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm unbelievably happy that you went that route because there is something special about New Orleans, um, that city. It it is magic. Like it is a weird feeling. There is a weird muse there. And um, the whole, it's not just the magician. It's, I don't want to spoil too much, but the one character, Fox, is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he's always there at the right funniest moment and says, yeah. like, funniest line. And it's, it's just so perfect. And I'm so glad you didn't do the, the small town um, kind of cliche. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really hard, I feel, as writers to avoid these kind of cliches. It is. Uh, yeah. How, do, um, how did you avoid that in your journey to bring apart this whole, like, different... Well, So part of that is me, and part of that is working with very good critique partners. So they're the ones who tell me, this joke isn't funny, this is lame, fix this. So, you know, it's, I need, you. it's such a personal thing. You're so involved in your characters and the world and the story. You need to be, you need outside eyes to tell you what is and isn't working, and you need to be open to those critiques. You know, there's different levels of when you receive a critique and it can be, you know, sometimes they're harsh. My favorite critique partner is my harshest, but I love her to pieces. And I always have to like take a big deep breath after I read what she sends me. And I'm like, okay, it's okay. And then there's the two extremes where some people are like, no, I don't believe any of this. I'm keeping it the way it is. I sometimes go to the other extreme of I'm going to make every single one of these changes. I want to do everything this person suggests. But there is a fine balance of trusting your gut and saying, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I, this, you know, the more I think about it, this person is right. And this plot point isn't working. This, you know, personality trait isn't working. So, you know, these things are important. And I usually work with probably three critique partners on every book, three stages of revisions. Now they do, they do it with you on each draft or are they three three people on every draft? A new person. So I write my draft. I send it to a critique partner. She sends me her notes back. I make changes. I send it to a second critique partner, fresh eyes. And maybe, you know, there was something I didn't change the first person mentioned because I didn't agree with it. And maybe the second person is going to mention the same thing. And by that point, I'm like, okay, I need to change this too. But I, so it's fresh eyes two or three times before, 
you know, I'm getting happier with the draft and before I do my line edits and my own copy editing and that kind of thing. What's one of the most difficult things in the process that you've encountered going through like the critiques and everything? I'm, I think it's trusting your gut. I think it's knowing, knowing when to not take advice as I was saying before and when to take it. And it's really about being open to the process because if you're not um, book, you don't write books, you rewrite books. You, you know, you need the outside input. And this is all done by the way, before it goes to an editor at a publishing house. So I go through all those stages to make the book as good as I can make it before it goes to my editor who then <laughs> makes me change more things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to eliminating cliches out of uh, writing. So when you were publishing your first book, how did that process go as far as like getting better and better? Like what was one of the first moments where you realized, oh my God, I'm doing this, I need to switch it. Right. Um, like, so one of the big cliches everybody says is don't have your character start the book by waking up. You know, it's just such a waking up and starting your day and brushing your teeth. That's not exciting. That's not throwing the reader into the action or the plot point. And it doesn't mean they need to be thrown into a chase or, you know, a car chase or something, but you need to start by gripping your reader. Um, so all those, there's lots of little things like that, that you should avoid. And I did all of those things wrong. My first two books, my third book was definitely better. And um, I submitted it to an online contest called Pitch Wars um, back in 2014. And that's where industry professionals, um, editors, agents, authors choose one writer to work with to try to help them get an agent. So what that means is what they're trying to do is help your book. Um, help you as a writer and help your book with the end result hoping to get an agent because I hadn't had I didn't have an agent yet so that was um, I worked with Brighton Walsh who's an amazing author and an absolute doll of a woman and I ripped apart we talked a lot about plotting and pacing especially in romance and I really ripped apart the novel and put it back together and um, we worked together for three months on that and then I eventually got an agent from that book and that was my first book deal as well. So it was really, I think, learning the plotting and the pacing of really keeping the action moving, making sure every scene, every bit of dialogue has a purpose. Nothing's there just because it's cute. Nothing's there just because, you know, it was fun to write. Everything has to move the character arc forward or the plot forward and, you know, serves a purpose. Right. So you mentioned by your third book, that's when you found balance. And was that part of the process of finding balance? What else gave you balance as your career as a romance writer? A balance in what way? Also like in life and working, writing into my life, do you mean? I would say fulfillment overall, like yeah. writing and fulfillment. Yeah. So there's a lot of ups and downs in this business. Um, and I think that pretty much can be said for almost anybody in the writing world, no matter how successful or unsuccessful they are, there are, you know, highs and lows. And what I'm realizing now, it is really trying to find balance and not put all my emotional energy into my writing and the end result of my writing, you know? So I've had some wonderful successes this year and I've also had some very frustrating times this year, as I can say for every year. And, you know, what I try, what I'm deciding to do, what I'm really focusing on this year is, you know, try to 
pull back a little bit and invest some of that time in my other hobbies that you give up because writing is so obsessive for most writers. It is so insular and, and it's wonderful because we get so excited and so involved, but also I think it makes you so connected to that end result that sometimes we forget the joy of just writing. And so if we can separate, you know, ourselves away from a bit, take some social media breaks, do those things, you know, for mental health and to keep you happy in writing, then it takes, it makes everything feel more balanced than if you're so, you know, on top of it and invested all the time. Was there ever a moment where you just realized I'm so obsessed? I'm like, what's going on? Like, did you? Sure. Yeah, no, that happens a lot and it's hard. It happens the most when I'm drafting a book. Um, when I'm revising, when things like that are going on or I'm doing promotional stuff, it's easier to take it in small bites. When you're in the middle of drafting for me, you just have this, even if there's no rush, like I, I'm generally ahead of my deadlines. I've never been forced to write under a crunch time period, but it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of drafting. It's this obsessive need to get the story out of my head and to stay in the voice you know, there are times where I've had to step away because I'm writing and then I've got, you know, edits coming back from an editor and I might be working on something else for a month and then I'm hopping back into my drafting. You have no choice but to do that at times, but it's not ideal because there is this feeling of wanting to stay in the voice, in the characters, so you don't lose the momentum of what you're creating. It is hard to not be obsessed during that time. Dinners turn into crap. There's no <laughs> question. Laundry, serious mount laundry, like, you know. My husband just kind of waves at me from my office door. <laughs> it happens. It's it's really hard to avoid that, but you just, you know, got to do your best and you got to hope that you have people around you that support you and understand, you know. Yeah. And um, you have a community of people helping you do this, right? Like, yeah. um, I think writing is so isolating and it's so, you know, we're in a dark room, we're in our heads. How did you find your community? Um, like, how did you find your tribe? So that goes back to that Pitch Wars contest um, that I entered. Now, I did find a couple critique partners before that, and those were literally random people I found online. Um, Just, you know, typing in critique partners, romance. I don't work with either of those people anymore, although they're dolls, and we just kind of, I don't think either of them write at all anymore anyway. Um, So through this contest where... Um, it really builds a community. We started a Facebook group of all the mentees, everybody who's being mentored. And a lot of my critique partners came from that. I then eventually started mentoring in the program. I did it for three years. I didn't do it last year, but I am doing it again. Oh, oh, sorry. I applied to do it again this year. If I get chosen, I will mentor again this year. Um, Cause it, it really is nice feeling to be able to give back because it gave, it's given me so much. Um, but through that program, it's been really wonderful. And you know what, even people who don't make it into pitch wars, cause you know, they have, you know, I think a couple thousand people applying around maybe 3000 people applying every year now, and they choose about a hundred, you know, with all the different mentors. So even the people who don't get in, they hop on Twitter and they chat with people and sometimes they find critique partners that way too. So, you know, it's, it's about getting involved and, and I, unfortunately most of it is online, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, you know, it doesn't impact me. I love my online friends feel as close as my <laughs> friends here, but you know, it's a great, if you start getting involved in the writing community online, you will, you know, eventually meet like-minded people. 
Yeah, and I, I didn't know you were a mentor. What was that like making that shift? Because it's, uh, it's really hard to teach people to write, you know? You just got to get yeah, them to write. Yeah, you're not teaching people to write because you are, you, these are people who have full manuscripts. These are people who need help on that last leg of the journey. They're people with, you know, writing skills, with grammar skills. I'm not starting, you know, I, I, it's too finite of a period that we work with them that I cannot choose to work with someone who it's going to take too much work to get them where they need to be because there's an agent round where they sort of show their work. And if they're not ready, it's, you know, it, it kind of shoots everybody in the foot there. So you have to choose to work with someone who is at a level where you need to take them and their manuscript that last mile and you can see how to fix it. Because sometimes you're like, I know there's something not working here, but I can't see it. So I'm not going to be the right mentor for the project. So you have to choose a book and a writer who you feel, you know, you can work with what they have and you can see clearly where the issues are. And, you know, critiquing other people is such a great exercise. It's so great for your own writing. Um, it helps you see blind spots maybe that you, you know, weren't fully aware of. It's all, you know, just exercising different writing muscles. Did you ever um, have someone who you mentored or critiqued? Um, did you ever see the transformation in them like it's it's like getting through the mindset too right I would think yeah for sure what was what was that like for them um so I think everybody you know the three years that I did it I think they all came out feeling like they've improved as a writer and that's the end of it you can't you're not guaranteeing someone they're going to get an agent or a book deal right this it happens for some people it does not happen for everybody um so it's about make, you know, making it a journey and hoping that they feel like stronger writers when they're out of it. I do know that everybody I worked with definitely felt that way by the end of that journey. Um, one of my mentees went on to a, you know, a great book deal and she's you know, got a couple of her second books coming out soon. And you know, it's, it's so exciting to see that and so exciting to have been part of that journey. You know, it's just, it feels wonderful what was like the thing that was really holding her back before from getting published or just um for her it was some plotting and pacing issues um definitely towards the end and because she it has a real mystery component to it and you know she didn't have a strong enough conclusion that was satisfying to readers but her voice was so unreal like her voice on the page, her witty prose, her, you know, banter was just so fantastic. She had all, you know, and that's stuff that you can't teach really in this time period that we're working with someone. So if I have someone who's got that and the general premise for the book was so great that, you know, it, she really needed to work on structure to get where she needed to be. Yeah. It was like the final piece to, to help her, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I, I like that you said witty and clever and strong voice. I feel that's so like, I feel like that's why I really love romance. Cause I feel like yeah. that's something that you can really only get in romance to where it's super fun. Um, and you're really, your, your book, you were really good at it. And in, in uh, New Orleans rush. Yeah. So had you always noticed that this voice was this witty part of you was just really strong and that's why you went into romance. I mean, what really led you down to this path to romance? Um, it's interesting. My first book that I wrote, which is horrible, it's hiding in a dark corner somewhere, was a YA sort of dystopian type novel. Um, 
I was not a romance reader. I, and you know, a lot of people are very hard on romance. A lot of people snub it, turn their nose up to it. We all, you know, hear a lot of that. Um, and I was a little bit one of those people. And then I went into a bookstore, I was going on vacation and the bookstore owner handed me a book. She said, read this. And it didn't look like a romance novel. So I bought it and it was a romance novel. And I was like, wow, this is pretty wonderful. Um, and I just think, I think we have misconceptions about what it is. Um, and I also think you need different things at different times in your life. And as I've gotten older and as life has gotten harder in some respects or, you know, more complicated or this or that, reading to just escape and laugh and feel good and feel sexy is such a wonderful release, um, you know, a stress release that, you know, I realize, and I still read other genres, but it's, it's such a beautiful thing that I can give that to people. And so, you know, I think, and that's what drew me in. It's just this, you know, you get to fall in love. I get to fall in love on the page when I write. I get to fall in love when I read someone else's romance. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I love that you said feel good and feel sexy. Because I have to say, I don't think we feel sexy enough like, yeah. I don't think you can ever feel sexy enough. I love that you bring that to your readers. I mean, um, and and we were talking earlier before we uh, started recording that you were saying like romance authors have more pressure to reveal a lot about their personal life on social media and things like that. Um, is there pressure to reveal a lot of your sex life or a lot of your romance <laughs> life? No, I'm just that is a no. No, I've never had. Okay. Well, the only question I get is, does your husband inspire all the sex scenes? Sadly, I'm going to say he's not the inspiration for all my heroes. <laughs> and he knows that. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a standing joke. Um, no, so I don't get personal questions in that respect. It's just that people seem to want to just hang out with you, you know, and there's that. And it's lovely. Like, honestly, having met readers and gotten to know readers has been such a special part of being an author staying on top of social media and always coming up with things to post that can be a bit of a drain because it's not easy and it actually takes work um whether people appreciate that or understand that about you know being on social media as an author i'm not sure um but i work hard to engage my readers it doesn't just oh i'm just going to post something today you know i think about it i or sometimes create an image for it so it takes work and I do think my readers appreciate it which is nice um but it is you know an unexpected part of the job it's not yeah. just about writing <laughs> oh yeah no um and writing is just many hats I don't think people realize how much yeah. we do as writers to yeah. get our books and stuff out there has there ever been a reader who came up to you and just told you I mean like anything that they've said that was just like oh my god I'm or I'm this character or things like that, reader love? Kind of. <laughs> um, I can't think of anything specific. There's nothing's coming to mind. One thing that's been am amazingly fun for me on this journey is having these foreign translations. You know, I have Italian readers in broken English messaging me through Facebook and stuff, the cutest messages and just how much they love the book. And, you know, I just, it's been, that has been so much fun. Um, I'm actually going to do a book signing in Italy in September um, for the rare event, the Romance Author Reader event. And yeah, I'm so excited to just, you know, experience that energy there because, you know, it's it's very special. 
Yeah, I saw that on your uh, social media. It's like a, a rom-com like uh, conference or something. Yeah, yeah, romance. So any all romance, facts, yeah. romance, so historical, um, everything. Whatever romance authors are sort of popular there right now. So they, you know, do a huge book signing. Um, so yeah, it'll be a book signing September in Rome. And, you know, it's one of those things that I ever think I was going to be doing something like that in my life. No. And German and Poland, right? Yes, we'll and Poland. So New Orleans Rush and my next book, which is titled Falling for Elvis, um, will be out in Germany. And then Poland has picked up New Orleans Rush. So yeah, it's super exciting. And it's cool too, because they always, they often change the titles. So um, New Orleans Rush is going to be called Love Like Magic in German. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw that post on your social media. I mean, everything was the same, but it was just uh, love like magic, and I was like, you know, that could work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's do do you feel like things get lost in translation? I mean, you're, are you involved in that process and everything? Not at all. No. Once they buy the the translation rights for the book in that country, then the book is theirs, and they do with it as they please. And you just have to hope <laughs> that it all you know goes well. But it has, right? I mean, if oh, you're yeah. going to Italy, yeah, it yeah. seems like it has. And if they're yeah. messaging you. Yeah. yeah, no, they changed the titles completely, the covers for that series, and the covers are beautiful. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, a lot of fun. So it's just interesting to see what they choose because they're choosing different covers and different titles to market to their audience, which wants something different. So it's just interesting to see how the packaging changes. And I don't know exactly what they're doing with the cover for Germany or Poland for New Orleans Rush, but yeah. It'll be neat. Well, it's interesting to see how people relate to B and all the characters, all these quirky characters like yeah. around the world and different cultural things and, you know, and also introducing New Orleans. Yeah. To Because it's, I really feel like there's no other place on earth like it. No. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's why I feel, and the magic that happens and everything that, that goes on in the story. It'd be yeah. interesting to see how Italians and Germans and Polish, uh, what they take away from that. Yeah, for so, sure. What do you do that helps you kind of get through the creative parts of your brain where you're, you know, kind of beating writer's block and things like that? Um, so writer's block for me, I am pretty good at moving forward. If I'm stumped, then I exercise or moving just sort of gets my brain flowing. So um, I don't, I will not stare at a computer and try to work through something if I'm stumped um I will go for a walk um or you know go to the gym something like that and event and I spin the idea while I'm going and it's not somehow like my blood flowing knocks something loose in my head and I'm always sort of able to get past that um but I you know I steal every moment that I can to write um I don't need to you know zone out and you know keep my mind you know, I, I don't need to set aside three hours so that I can write. If I have half an hour, I might just reread or edit something. If I haven't, you know, I just, I can jump in pretty easily, but I know that doesn't work for everybody. So everybody has to find their method. Some people work better in the morning. Some people work better at night. I'm a morning writer. I will do some writing in the evenings, but I am hands down so much more productive in the morning. Like first thing, getting up and... Yeah. So everybody has to find their method that works for them, you know, when they're stumped or whatnot. Right. 
What is your um, advice to young creative women out there who are struggling right now? Who? Um, I, I think it's so important to have a creative outlet. I would, I would not be, you know, functioning properly in my life if I didn't have a creative outlet on some level. Um, I've done different things in my life to access that. Um, writing has turned into the main thing for me that, you know, where I have that outlet. And it's all about having an outlet. Um, so I would say, you know, do things in baby steps and don't try to focus. It's so easy to say, but don't try to focus on the end goal so much. You know, smaller steps of I'm going to do this. I'm going to write a chapter today or I'm going to paint a square on the, a part of this painting today without trying to stress yourself out about how long it's taking and try not to compare yourself to other people. Again, so easy to say, so much harder to implement. But if you're constantly comparing yourself, um, then it's it's such an easy way to feel demoralized, to feel like you're not getting where you want to be. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's path is different. Um, if you can keep your eye on your own lane and try not to let it discourage you when you see other people succeeding where you haven't felt like you've succeeded, um, that is the best way, I think, to be productive and to not feel down about not being where you are. Again, easier said than done, but it's something you need to be aware of because um, I think it, it it's hard for everybody out there in creative fields because it's it's such um, such a personal thing you're doing whether you're writing or painting or you're a filmmaker or something everything you're doing is very feels very personal um, so it's it's really important to focus on your path and try not to get discouraged by what other people are doing. Did you ever have a moment like this where you finally just stopped um, comparing yourself or finally just decided you were going to make your own way? What it's was that? Been, uh, it's just been gradual for me. It's not like it was an aha moment. You're aware of jealousy going on, you know, and feeling happy for someone, but feeling crappy about their success at the same time. I'm just feeling a lot of that, you know, at different stages in the earlier part of my career. Does it ever go away completely? No, there's sometimes always a twinge of, oh, I wish I, you know, I wish this, I wish that. Um, but I no longer, it's, it's no longer in a severely negative way. Um, I've definitely channeled that energy and just been like, yeah, different things. Everybody has a different path and there's some luck involved and there's some this involved, you know, it's, it's skill, it's luck, it's everything, it's timing. Um, and it's been a gradual process of me just accepting and understanding that, you know, if I get to a certain stage, that's great. And if I don't, you know, I am happy doing this and it's about finding peace with that. What, what was like a disappointment where like you really wanted a gradual stage, but you didn't get it? Like, what was that? I would say it's, it's any, you know, not getting the book deal you wanted. So it's signing with. Um, not the publisher you wanted or you're at the publisher you want but you wanted a print deal and you got a digital deal you know so it's it's things like that it's just it's little steps of wanting you know a bit more than what you have or seeing more success in sales you know it's as simple as that of you know my book you know my my I self-published my last series um, and the books didn't perform as well as I would have liked um, 
and I didn't love all of the behind the scenes stuff I had to learn and do is not so much in my wheelhouse. So all of that was a little frustrating, but then I see other people self-publishing and, you know, like being super successful with it. And so you feel frustrated, but you just have to say, you know, some people are better at some things than others. And it's really hard in this romance genre um, to break the ceiling when it's so oversaturated, which, you know, it has been for a number of years now. How have you been able to break the ceiling? Because you're, you're right, it is oversaturated. There's paranormal romance, historical romance. There's, I mean, there's just like all kinds of erotica, you know, like, or I don't know if that qualifies as romance. That, but within that, um, it's not just that there's so many genres. There's just, so I, I am a full supporter of self-publishing. I, you know, I think all of it has a purpose and has value and is wonderful. What it has done, however, is skewed the market, whereas the, the volume that is being published every day used to be controlled by publishing houses. It also made it a barrier for publication, which is also not great because then people can't publish. You know, if you weren't picked up by a publishing house, you're out of luck. So now anybody can get their book out, which is wonderful. And I think it's great, but it's also spreading out the spending dollars. And there's just so much volume that readers sometimes don't know, you know, where to go and where to gravitate to. So it's more about the volume being published as opposed to genres. How do you, how do you suggest we stand out in that volume? I mean, is it, Lisa, is it? There's no easy answer. It's really about, trying to write books that, you know, are authentic and follow your heart with that. Because you know what, at the end of the day, as we're all learning, if you're not happy with what you're writing and you don't feel passionate about it, there's, there's so many hard steps in this publishing, you know, world that if you are not happy with what you're doing, it's going to set you back even more. If you feel like you're trying to write to trend or things like that, I never write to trend. I write what I want to write. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's a good thing for me. Sometimes it probably hurts me a little bit, you know, in some respects. But I think at the end of the day, you have to be true to yourself with your writing and write good books. If you're self-publishing, you've got to do a lot of work on the back end and figuring out how to promote, how to do advertising and all that stuff, right? And that's the thing that sort of set me back with self-publishing because I don't like doing that at all. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to be really committed to that end of it, right? So it's, it's knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and yeah. And building a community online and be grad, you know, gradually growing in that respect too. And I respect that, that you're like, I write what I want to write and I don't <laughs> news trend and everything. I mad respect that because it's okay. so hard. There's so much pressure there to, to do that. And you don't, I mean, yeah. how do you, I love that determination. I mean, how do you just like keep, you just like know the story, it has meaning, it's coming out. I mean, how do you just stay focused on that? Because there's pressure to do it. There is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You how know, do you avoid it? Yeah, I I think I just especially I think it was last year and I was a bit frustrated with the self-publishing and I was like, you know, I'm gonna write I had this idea for this book and you know, the magician world and you know, the little bit of suspense in it that you don't always see in contemporary romance, because that's romantic suspense is usually, you know, specific they, they like to have strong divisions and strong categories in romance um, so that readers know what it is they're getting when they pick up a book. So, you know, I'm kind of melding some things together and trying some different stuff. And, you know, I was just frustrated with self-publishing and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. 
and we'll see what happens. So I just made a decision that I'm going to write standalone romances. I'm going to make them as quirky as I want to make them. And we'll see what happens. Take the readers on a ride with me and hopefully they'll jump on board. <laughs> and, and you did this with New Orleans Rush. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that was sort of the first one where I said, I'm just going to, I did set it up to be a series because I did set it up that the brothers could each get a book, but it was as I was writing this book that I decided it's not what I want to do. So I closed it and sort of made it as a standalone romance. Yeah. But that's the book that opened the door to uh, translate to Italy and Italian. So no, Italy came with my very first series, which was through Hachette um, Grand Central Publishing. Forever Yours is their romance line. So they owned the foreign rights to that and they sold the three book series I did with them to an Italian publisher there. Um, my agent, I switched agents uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe um, a year and a half ago. And she's predominantly her agency focuses on foreign rights, although they're making some changes and doing more um, domestic work as well. But um, she's the reason that I've been able to get the Germany deal and the Polish deal because, um, because it's her strength as an agent. Yeah. So it's about having those people in your corner who, you know, can work hard for you. Yeah. And how did you, how do you know which people to work with? Agent wise? Well, I mean, agent wise. And then there's also other people that, I mean, you mentioned your contributing, uh, your contributors and your critique partners. Yeah. But, um, What's best for your book, baby? Like, how do you always know what's best for your book? Um, especially um, that's really releasing it into the world that your agent is a huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of critique partners, it's best to work with people who write in your genre. So I know I have lots of friends who like write different style of books, but I tend to stick with romance writers for my critique partners because they really understand the nitty gritty of getting into book and what it is that you know, readers are expecting what editors want, etc. Um, so, you know, finding people like that in your corner who really understand the industry is important for me. Um, in terms of agents and such, you don't always have a lot of control over that because you're querying agents that, you know, you, you don't get to choose who you work with, they choose to work with you. Um, my first agent was wonderful. We ended up parting ways for various reasons. And then I ended up with an agent that sort of, because I was writing self, the self-published novels at the time, and she focuses a bit more on that, but she knew I wanted to do traditional work as well. So, you know, it's good timing because she was building that side of her agency while they're doing the foreign work. So I kind of get the best of both worlds there. And um, yeah, but, you know, the querying agents is a real tough, tough grind. Um, because there's a lot of rejection as there is with a lot of writing um, stuff. So you have to just, you know, pull up your big girl panties and go in there and know that, you know, people are going to turn you down and that's okay. So yeah, just moving forward. Yeah. So when you were querying, like, I mean, like, was there ever a point where you're just like, I'm ready to give up. I can't like, I can't keep <laughs> do this anymore. I think there's probably different times in this journey in the past eight years where I've said that multiple times. I've said that after I've been published, I'm frustrated, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, you just, there are a lot of downs and people have to understand that when they get into an industry like this, that um, it is not all roses. However, you know, on social media, I'm not someone who, I tend to focus on the positive 
And so you portray a certain image, but it's not just because people are looking successful and happy on social media, it doesn't mean everything in their journey is successful and happy, you know? And I don't know that people are always in tune to that. Yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, I like it when people are actually real on social media. And I kind of say this sometimes too. I'm like, look, I'm busy or I'm doing something that might be boring. I'm, I'm out here doing stuff. And I think it's okay for us to say like, look, I'm not always as happy as I seem (laughs) or this is what's really going on. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I know it's the pressure that we've got to kind of show that we're fascinating authors when really (laughs) we just want to go right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not writing in a book that doubles as a pantry room. So not writing in a room that doubles as a pantry. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? Wherever your ideas come, I used to have one apartment that had the ugliest lime green walls. But I don't know what it was. I could write so well in that space. I have right. no idea. Yeah. I really, yeah, you write where you can. Wherever, yeah. So what's next for you? Um, you have a book. What was the Elvis's what? Yeah. that's going? Falling for Elvis. Um, Falling well, for Elvis. My next release, but I'm just working with my agent now on sort of submitting to editors and figuring out where where it's going to be published. Um, we've decided not to work with this publisher again, just for various reasons. And we're uh, going to figure out how to do that. It will be coming out in Germany. So we just have to figure out how it's going to be coming out in North America. Um, yeah. So just working on that. And um, I also have a women's fiction project that's on submission with editors. So I have my fingers in different pots at the moment. Yeah. How do you balance um, your writing brain with all these different projects? Like, it's hard because I also, you know, my romance right now is third person, past tense. Um, my women's fiction is first person, still past tense, but first person. So, you know, if I was working on one and then going to the other, it definitely pulls your brain in different directions. But it is amazing how quickly you can sort of pop into it and, you know, get your head there. So, yeah, you yeah. make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for joining us today. And um, if you are interested in getting a copy of New Orleans Rush, you can find it on Goodreads, Amazon, and uh, BookBub. I highly recommend it for your summer reads. It's the perfect beach read and the perfect getaway. As always, thank you for joining us, Creative Minds, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much.